Are y'all okay? Yes. Just making sure. Let's let's stand real quick. Memorial Day is a day to remember our fallen heroes to whom sac their sacrifice provided a life of freedom for our country. Amen? Amen? It is a national day of remembrance. And I'm grateful for the sacrifice. But there are soldiers that I'm a little bit sensitive to that I don't want to forget. And it's soldiers in the army of God. And Psalm chapter 116 verse 14 says, I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Mm. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So this past week, one of the soldiers of God's army left this earth too soon. He was a faithful and loyal man, good to his family, and, and he's very good to this preacher. His name was Randy Shear. Randy was a part of our church early on in my ministry, and uh, he came to the understanding of having cancer about a week ago, and he lasted about a week. And now he's with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. But he gave his life uh, for kingdom things, and I want to appreciate that. So let's, let's go ahead and pray if we can. Father, I do want to thank you for those who have served or who serve right now in the United States Armed Forces. And I want to thank you for those who love their service member. And I want to thank you to all the Gold Star families and thank you for their sacrifice and their service. But I also want to remember those who have served in the Army of God and how difficult this work is and how hard the battle is and how harsh at times it can be. And I want to thank you for their sacrifice and their service. So when Randy entered heaven, Father, he was met by his Savior, personally introduced to this God that he's never seen, and will be honored by his sacrifice to the kingdom. And I just think that was a glorious day for him. And I want to thank you for his family, and I pray, Lord God, that you would give them peace in your presence and joy in the knowledge that he is at peace physically, mentally, and emotionally is with God. Father, we just want to thank you for his service to this church and his service to this ministry and his service to this preacher, his service to this community, all for the kingdom of God. To Randy's family, we just pray for peace in the presence of God, that, he was that, he, that God was pleased with this man, the man Randy was. And Father, we're just grateful for people who will give their lives for the kingdom. And Father, I think about those who are in this building today who serve you faithfully and, and willingly and who one day will, will be honored, I believe, in the same way as they stand before you. We love you so, and Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and worship. I was a wretch, I remember who I was I was lost, I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your sight so you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. There at the cross, 
You paid the debt I owe Broke my chains, freed my soul For the first time I have hope Thank you Jesus for the blood of life Thank you Jesus you have washed me white Thank you Jesus you have saved my life Brought me from the darkness into glorious light my place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death has no sting and life has no end for I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, you have washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious
you, Lord. We're so excited to be here to just give you our praise and our worship. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice and You have led me through the fire in darkest night you were close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God and all my life you have been So, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after it's running after me With my life laid down I'm surrendered now I give you everything Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after Cause all my life you 
seated for just a moment. Uh, I got a couple of announcements to make. I, I do want to invite you all this Thursday to what we've called our first Thursday meeting. Uh, it begins at 6 p.m. with a, with a potluck style meal, so bring potluck. Um, we'll take communion and then we're going to do a special teaching that's going to prepare us for a season of prayer and fasting for the church. So that's what that moment's going to be about. And that's this Thursday at 6 o'clock. And I, I want to do that because I believe in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, which says, When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So I believe that there's power in prayer, that God rains his power down on his people who pray. And that's what we're going to spend our summer doing, praying for God to do great and mighty things. Amen? Amen. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. Um, with our offering, uh, three weeks ago, one of our young men in our church suffered a great injury that hindered his ability to support his family. And many of you so far have given to meet their needs, and I want to just say thank you for that. In the book of Isaiah, God references how Israel took care of the poor several times. And it was something that God pays attention to. He takes care of, he looks to those who have needs, and he watches to see how God's people respond to the needs of the people who have that need. And the Old Testament had a principle that one farmer, one, that one of the farmers, when he gleaned his field, he would leave the corners to leave those in need. So he would, he would take all the wheat in the field, if we want to say wheat or corn, but he would leave the corners so the people who were in need could come and take from that and to provide for their families. And that's really kind of what God expects us to do is uh, at the end of the month, we should have some things, some money, some finances, some food, some things left for people in need. So it's not just enough to take what you get at the end of the month and say, look, we saved 500 bucks. How much of that are you willing to use to support the needs of somebody in need in the church? So as we fill up our own barns, we need to leave something to glean to meet the needs of those who need help. So being the end of the month, today is the last day for you to help Brandon and Myra Hall. Um, you can give through our church app or using the envelope in the box or just hand it to one of the ushers, somebody that looks like they're an usher. Um, you can use the church app. Uh, but, but I do want to say thank you for leaving a little something for those in need and having the obedience to obey the word of God in regards to that. So let's go ahead and pray real quick for the halls. Father, your people, when they are in need, are to be cared for by those who are your people. So, Father, as you have blessed us, as you have blessed our harvest, as you've blessed us this month, as we have maybe been able to set some funds aside, that we would not just use it for ourselves, that we would set it aside for meeting the needs of those within the church that are in need right now. So I want to thank you for those that have done that already. And Lord, maybe there's just a little bit more they could give today to make sure that we take care of this young family who's been serving and, and being a, been a faithful part of New Life Church for years. Lord, encourage them by our encouragement. 
today's the last day and we just want you to be honored. Father, for the tithes and the offerings on the other side of that, continue to bless these church members with good jobs, good wages, and God's hand that we may support your work here. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's go ahead and stand. We got one song left to go. Amen.
kids at this time. Thank you for coming this morning, guys. Teens are going to stay with me one more week because it's the last week, so you got to stay with me one more week, and then you'll do your teen thing next week. And the rest of you may sit down. Oh, you already did. That's... Hope God's been good to you this week. Amen. This is the final day. I promise. This is the final 
message out of Judges. And I say that because the last verse, let me put my glasses on. The last verse of the book of Judges says what I'm going to say today. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that's the, that's the final saying in the book of Judges. So I figured we might as well end on the final day that way. I entitled it When the Cat's Away, but it has nothing to do with anything other than it's just When the Cat's Away, the Mice Will Play. But that's just me being an old man. Y'all okay? Yes. Amen. Let's, uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do what I did last week, get down on my knees and pray, because I just feel like I just need to be in that position to honor God for myself. And so if you want to join me, you can. Um, please don't grunt when you get up, because I know that's an old man thing, so. She scares me when she does stuff like that. <laughs> let's go ahead, let's go ahead and take some time and pray. Father, as the song says, there is no one like you. I don't know how people live life without you. I don't know how they get through their day without knowing that there's a God that loves them and cares for them, helps them, encourages them, saves them, serves them. You're constantly helping us be better. You're encouraging our marriages, you're encouraging our families, you're encouraging our lives, you're encouraging our jobs, you're encouraging every aspect of every moment of every day. And I have not found in 60 years of life on this earth anything that compares to you. There is no one or there is nothing that is like you. So today I just want to set my pride aside because it's not about me today. I just want to set aside, Lord God, all of my own thoughts and all of my own feelings and all of my own desires and be open to your spirit and what he wants and how he wants to speak to me and how he wants to speak through us. Father, I'm not sure about what I'm saying today. I, I know what I'm saying, but I'm not sure what you're going to do with it. Let us be open to your spirit today. Let us be open not to the words of a man, but to the words of God. That we may receive something powerful today. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Jesus, we need you. Your word promises that we're two or three gathered together in your name. You're in the midst, so we know that you're here. Heal the brokenness that's in us. Call out the sin that is in us. Encourage the comforter to give us courage to not just receive your word, but do something about it. We need you so bad. Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, let's, 
when you read your Bible, it's important to understand some things about how it's written. If you were to read Judges on your own, you would see Judges chapter 1 through 16 is full of stories of men and women who judged Israel. These judges guided and rejected and directed the children of Israel after Joshua led them into the promised land. And then you get to Judges chapter 17 through Judges chapter 21, and it's structured as appendices. So, so there's no real timing to these stories after this. There's, the writers just believed that there was something important to say, and they wanted to add it to the end of the book of Judges about things that went on during the, the time of the Judges. So it's not written chronologically, so it's important to recognize that when the Scripture deviates from the timeline. Because you can get confused if you don't look at it as God's just adding these stories in there. These are things that went on at different times during the time of Judges, but there's no specific time that he wants to mention. He just mentions a specific story. Many of these appendices begin with the words, there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Meaning that these were simply a summary of what happens when there is no leadership. That's really what it's saying. This is important so as not to get confused with the context and enable you to rightly divide the word of truth. And that's what I want to do. As, as a pastor, one day I'm going to be gone. And what I want to leave is at least maybe I taught you some things about rightly dividing the word of truth. To get the point across, we're just going to take one story and I'm going to read it as such. I'm going to read it as a story. So if you want to read the literal scriptures, you're going to have to go back and read Judges 17, 18. Judges 17 and 18, that's where we'll be. But I'm just going to read it as a story and kind of talk through it. When you get to Judges chapter 17, there's a man by the name of Micah who's from the hill country of Ephraim. And he comes on the scene. So just imagine this guy named Micah. His name is a shorter, shorter form of Micah Yahoo, which means who is like Yahweh. And everything that I've read doesn't say he's like Yahweh. He's not saying that Micah is like Yahweh. He's saying Micah was that guy who said, I wonder what Yahweh is like. If I were to see Yahweh, would I know what God looked like? Would I understand who he is? So he was curious. So he's introduced, though, as a thief who stole from his mother 1,100 pieces of silver. So Micah comes on the scene. He's from the hill country of Ephraim. He's curious about who God is. But he stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother. Upon recognizing that she's been robbed, Micah's mother places a curse on the money which encouraged him to return it. When mama curses your money, you give it back. But his repentance and restoration was not based upon rejecting what was stolen because the ancient world didn't have much belief in curses. What it was is it was the money that was cursed was dedicated to the Lord, and you don't mess with God's money. I'm going to say that really clearly again. Money that was dedicated to God was taboo and dared not to be used for any other purpose, and they believed that if it was dedicated to God, you kept your fingers off of it. Amen. And it's possible, though, that her motive was to enhance the heinousness of the theft so as to increase the possibility of it being restored. So she made it a bigger deal than it was. Not that the mother wanted to make sure that she would get things right with God, but that her son would get things right with her. And there's a lot of 
mothers in the room that have a tendency to do that. You're more concerned about your child getting things right with you than they are getting things right with God. He was a thief. She was a manipulator. This starts the story. Upon her son's repentance and restoration in verse 3, the mother took the money dedicated to the Lord and used it to make a carved image, which was a false god. She then, it gets twisted. She then gives the false god to her son. Now the scriptures teaches for the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 20 verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Deuteronomy 4.16 says, Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in any form or any figure in the likeness of male or female. Israel's God was the God who had the image of the imageless faith. Nobody would know what God looked like because God created everything. So you could make anything that you could think of and say this is God and it wouldn't be God. So God was not to be made in the likeness of any earthly creation, but that's what she did. So hold on when I read this next section, because I, I got to actually read it, because I, I got confused myself, and I got to be careful. Micah, upon receiving the false god made with money that his mother dedicated to the Lord, that he stole, that she cursed, that he returned, that she kept back for herself, then made an idol out of the rest and gave it to her son. Are you with me? He then makes a house of worship for himself. And in that house of worship, he made an ephod. Now, an ephod, there's a lot of conjecture about what an ephod is. Uh, and I'm going to simplify it to this way. An ephod was a sacred garment worn by a high priest in the service of God in the temple. And it identified that temple as God approving of this place of worship. So if there was an ephod, it meant that God was approving of this place. But it was one that he made up. He made himself. So to complete this confusing moment in time, without God's authority, Micah ordained one of his sons to be priest of Micah's little church. That's a lot. And the theme of that day was in Judges 17, 6, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, normally when a, a, a man preaches or a woman preaches, whatever you want to go with, there's a conclusion. So I'm supposed to teach you something and preach something to you and come to a conclusion. But there is no conclusion to this sermon. So I don't know how we're going to end it. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, I was about to go into a biblical lesson when I stopped there and thought, that's enough. But as I always do, I read before and then I read after whatever the text that I'm going to teach on. I make sure that I have the full context of the text. And Micah's story wasn't done. There was a young preacher who was looking for a place to minister, and he ended up in the hill country of Ephraim at the house of Micah. And Micah asked him, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm looking for a place to do ministry in. These are my words. You can read it in the scripture. 
The Bible doesn't state why this young Levite was looking for a place to minister, but it's very possible that he was rejected from the church of Jerusalem, so he was looking, or Bethlehem, so he's looking for a place to go. Micah didn't bother to ask, which most people don't. Instead, Micah says, why don't you come be my lead pastor? I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a new suit. I'll give you your wages to live on. I'll be a father to you, which made the Levite very happy because it's obviously what God has called him to. Because God always calls us to prosperity. He never calls us to pain. That's what we think. God always calls us to prosperity. It's always the good stuff that God's behind. But when God calls you to difficulty, trials, or tribulation, God's obviously not in that. That's not scriptural in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I'm sure he said, I feel that God is calling me to this place because they all do. I've heard so many young preachers say, God's calling me to this place. It's like heaven. Give it time. It'll be like hell. Amen. Micah then, without authority, ordained his second priest. Making this very bold statement. Judges 17, 13. Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. Simple statement. Most people choose their pastors by the possibility of personal prosperity. I've heard it a million times in 26 years of pastoring. The statement made by Christians that say, I'm not being fed here. I'm not being fed here. So you go find somebody who feeds you because you're looking for personal prosperity. That this pastor, his messages speak to me. It's about me. It's about what it does for me instead of convicts you of sin. But most people choose their pastors by the possibility of personal prosperity. Are we okay so far? But we're not done. Because as you get into chapter 18, the plot thickens. Remember, we have a thief, a manipulator, and an unordained priest starting their own church with a lead pastor who was rejected by others who had biblical authority. And I'm not sure if going on is going to confuse you or clarify you, but I'm going to continue anyway. Because Judges 18.1 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in, for until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Which brings us to this point in history where God delivered Israel out of the bondage of, of Egypt and brought them into the promised land with Joshua. So this is about 40 years after uh, uh, coming out of bondage. But the tribe of Dan had not found their place, their, their home, their land. And they were looking for that land. This, and and they, in looking for that land, they came along this little spot of heaven belonging to Micah. And they got to Micah's little church and they recognized the voice of the young Levite who, from all I can guess, had sought to be a priest of the people of Dan, but they must have denied him. So they knew his voice, meaning that he obviously had preached a couple of sermons for them and they thought, ah, this guy's okay, but we can get somebody better. Amen. Are you still with me? Because there's a lot to this. But upon hearing how Micah had seen the gifts and calling upon this young priest's life, they asked him to pray for them to see if the land was where God wanted them to be. So now they're interested because Micah's interested, they're interested, which I see that in a lot of people. And the priest said this to them. He said, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. 
That sounds like a sermon that most preachers are preaching today. God is with you wherever you go. Do what you want. God will bless you. Amen? And the Danites didn't believe this is exactly where God wanted them to, to be, so the, the, the men went back to the, the, the leadership of the Danites, and they said this to this, as you go, you'll come to an unsuspecting people. That means you'll come to a stupid people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. This is a great place. They're full of stupid people. You can take whatever you want because they won't know the difference. So they go into the land and they enter into the house of Micah where they see an ephod which seems to have God's approval, two, two priests and an image of God. And they took the false ephod, the false priests, and the false God for themselves. So they took Micah over Micah's little church. Which upset Micah because he was a thief who stole from his mother and only repented because he was afraid of a curse whose mother was a manipulator. Micah made a little church and ordained two priests to make them look like man of God and paid them to be happy. And how dare the Danites take over his little false church. Are you with me? This, this, I've been do, reading this for six months. This is why there's so much there. And the Danites replied to to Micah, who was mad. And Judges 18.25 says, The people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life and the lives of your household. Meaning to Micah, shut up, we're going to take what we want. Meaning the Danites were a bunch of bullies. And the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priests that belonged to them, and they sought to overtake the land. And the Bible says in Judges 18.31, so they set Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was in Shiloh. The priests didn't care who was paying them. They went for the big church. They left Micah for the big church. So they showed a complete lack of loyalty. The Danites showed a complete lack of respect for another one's faith, even though it was a false faith. Threatening them with angry men, literally meaning bitter of soul and looking for a fight. Meaning they were fighting God's people, not the devil. And I see that a lot today where there's a lot of Christians. You're just fighting God's people. You're fighting the church. You're always complaining about God's people in the church. You're not fighting the devil. You're actually serving him and working for him. That was free. This false priest that served under the Danites now was identified as the grandson of Moses, giving him name recognition. He's famous. But he was rejected by true priests and ordained by a thief, created a false church and built upon idols. And there's a lot to this story. And it was all the result of not making God king. Because there was no king in Israel and they didn't want God to be their king. So the story ends with the Danites setting up a sanctuary, installing young Jonathan as a priest. And, and this was in the valley of Beth Rohab, which means house of the open place. Or welcome to open church where you can do what you want. You can worship how you please. 
You can show up when you please. You can serve when you please. It's all about what's best for you because there is no king in Israel. I I know this to be true. Most of us come from spiritually broken homes. Where the truth is often manipulated, the truth of God is often manipulated to benefit us. And we promise God things that we don't intend to fulfill. Meaning like Mike and his mother, we have a tendency to be thieves and manipulators when it comes to the word of God. Because we do what is right in our own eyes. We do what is right in our own eyes. We want to worship God, but we make him in our image. How God, we want God to be. If God is love, everything is grace. If God is law, everything is rules. We don't follow God as God is. We make, make him up the way we want to. We make idols out of him. So that we can comprehend and understand. We can't comprehend God. He only gives us his word. And we still can't fully comprehend how awesome and amazing and powerful and great this God is. So we do what is right in our own eyes. We want to believe that we have authority that is God-given that's not God-given, but it's us taking. We want to make it look like we're approved of God, that we're the holy ones, that we're the righteous ones. And we ordain men of God as we choose. Depending on whether they do what we think they should do. We do what is right in our own eyes. We see something that we believe is best for us and we bully our way into it, threatening those who may oppose us, seeking personal prosperity, not spiritual obedience. Because we do what is right in our own eyes. Leaving us to be surrounded by thieves and manipulators, false priests without God's authority, fatherless men who run to anyone who shows us attention, and big bullies. Because there's no king in the land. Now God in the Bible has left us many levels of authority in our lives that we're supposed to surrender under. And I'm going to talk about one but I'm going to mention a couple others real quickly but I got to be careful with that because this generation has turned away authority that God has put in place God made civil authority man's authority you read Romans chapter 13 verse 1 through 6 and I'm not going to read it yeah don't put it on the wall but we don't want to submit to civil authority We want to fight them with everything that's in us, even though God put them in place. God gave authority in the home of the parents, and it's amazing to me how children run their parents today, or the parents run after their children. No longer are parents, like if a child doesn't want to go to church, the parents don't go to church. Where there was a day when the parents said to the child, we're going to church. Well, I don't want to go. I don't care. That was a statement of my father. Don't care. Get in the car. 
and wipe that frown off your face. Husbands no longer are authorities in the home. A lot of that's due to the fact that husbands aren't being godly men. Amen. So we don't respect fathers anymore. We don't respect authority. Elders and pastors are authorities of the church, but we don't respect that anymore because we're so busy looking for faults and watching what's on TV to see these megachurch pastors falling, then everyone's got to be put under the same magnifying glass, I guess. So all pastors are like Carl Lentz. I told you I'll never invite you to the gun show. And you don't have to laugh at that because I don't have guns. Uh, I'm literally watching this generation do what is right in their own eyes. Because there's no king in the land. We are not submissive to the Lord. We are not submissive to God. We are submissive to what's best for us. So let me just break it down to this, and I don't know how we're going to close this out. God is your authority. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Know therefore today, and lay it on your heart. God's word is going to lay down some knowledge that you're supposed to put in here to obey. The Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. The Lord is God of heaven and earth. He is king of heaven. He is king of earth. He is God. He is our authority. You are not your own authority. Unless you're living like a thief and a manipulator who ordain false priests, who start your own little church, worship the way you want, do things the way you want. Become a bully towards people that don't believe the way you want. Who seek personal prosperity instead of biblical obedience. There is no other. God's word says there is no other. There is no other God. You can't make him what you want him to be. He's going to be who he is. He made you, you did not make him. Stop making God to be what you want him to be. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day, that it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God will give you for all time. He is the highest God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is God Almighty. We do what is right in His eyes, not what is right in our own eyes. And anyone that does what is right in their own eyes is like Micah. You're a thief, and you're like Micah's mother. You're a manipulator, and you're like the Danites. You're going to bully people into believing what you want them to believe. And if you don't like the Old Testament version of that, let me give you the New Testament version of it. 
Jesus came and said to them in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the authority that was given to God was now given to Christ. All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It is his, not yours. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, you should be submissive to his will and his way and his word, not yours. And you should stop trying to steal from him his words and use them for your benefit. And stop trying to manipulate the scriptures to make it fit your belief system. Because your belief system is just that, your belief system. It doesn't mean it's truth. I'm doing this a lot, don't know why. I feel like it's a pointing message. There is no image on earth, especially anything made by the hands of man that can properly portray him. That's what's hard about worship. It's hard to worship him in a way that gives him the glory that he really is due because we are fallible in the way we think about him. What his word says can't be manipulated if you obey his word and you don't try to twist it to fit your life. He chooses who's ordained. He chooses where we live. He even chooses what church we worship. And that's 2, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. God arranges the members in the body, each one as he chose. But we do what is right in our own eyes. We make choices that we want to make for its best because it's best for us. The end of the chapter is In those days there was no king in Israel because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What are you doing right now in your life that is right in your eyes but it's not right in God's? And I know someone's going to throw a scripture at me for here or this, there. And you better hope it's true. Otherwise you're operating as Micah operated. You're stealing his words and making them your own. You're manipulating his words and making them what you want them to be. You say you trust God. You say you believe in God. You say you want to obey God. But do you really? Because we tend to do what's right in our own eyes. So what is it? I have no conclusion. I have no way to get out of this. I'm in the middle of it and I have no way to go. Other than this is the end of a season that God's trying to speak to us as a congregation about where he wants us to be and where he wants us to go. And he ends it with, doesn't matter because everyone's going to do what's right in their own eyes. Because there's no king in Israel. So I have to leave it to the Holy Spirit. It is his place to convict us of sin. It is his place to challenge us when the word of God is preached. It is his place to help us recognize areas of our life where we're not being submissive to the word of God and the ways of God that we're doing what's right in our own eyes.
And you can respond to him today or you can rebel against him because you're going to do what's right in your own eyes anyway. But we're going to take just a couple of minutes. Can I get some, will the background work? We're going to give you a few minutes to speak with God. I think that's what's missing in a lot of churches today. We're so busy getting the sermon out that we don't stop and say, hey, you need to talk to God about what's going on in your heart right now. What are you doing that's right in your own eyes that's not right in His? Let's stand. Father, it is your spirit that must move today. I just read a simple story out of the scripture that I think speaks to what's going on in the world today. I believe there are people in this world, the Christian people, the God, supposedly godly people, who should be worshiping you as King of kings and Lord of lords. But instead we do what is right in our own eyes. Because we have no king. And I think sometimes you're just trying to call us out and speak to our hearts to, to repent and make you king again. Maybe it's time to make you king again. I don't know. I feel like the more I talk, Father, the more I just get in your way. So, Father, as the men and women of Israel who heard the word of God in Acts chapter 2 and cried out, men and brethren, what should we do? Maybe today's the day of repentance. Maybe today we need to confess some sin that we're doing things our way. Or maybe today's the day they're just going to go on, Father, and just keep doing things the way they want to do them. But my prayer is that you wouldn't let them think that they're doing it with you. Unless they're willing to make you their king. Ruler of everything. Ruler of their home. Ruler of their heart. Ruler of the house of God. ruler of their marriage, ruler of their family, ruler of their future. Encourage our hearts, fathers, we take a moment and just spend it with you. In Jesus' name we pray, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know what the Lord's saying to you today, but the altar's open.
been stealing from God? His words, making them your own? You've been manipulating the scriptures to fit into your life? You've been making Christianity what you want it to be, what you think it should be, because you're so much a king of your own life that you know what's right and not. You've been ordaining priests in your life because they speak a certain way, good and bad. Are you a bully beating people up because they don't believe exactly the way that you believe? Making sure on Facebook you make sure people know where you stand instead of letting your life show where you stand? Father, let us not be a people that do what is right in our own eyes. Let us do what's right in your eyes. Let us be pleasing to you. Let us be holy and righteous. Maybe you're around friends that do what is right in their own eyes. Probably not the kind of people you should be around. Because they're going to expect you to follow them, not you to, them to follow you. Father, I know there's more work to do, but I'm not going to be the one that fulfills that work. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we sing one more song, we want to thank Jesus for the blood applied. We want to close this out being thankful as a people for the blood that saved us from our sins and put us in a position to where you become king of our lives, where it's about Jesus, ruler of everything. Father, be with this congregation that they would hear your voice to not be so hard-hearted that all they hear is their own. 
open our hearts up to you. In Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, let's go ahead and sing this song one more time. Can we do that? Yep. Thank you, guys.
place, Lord God, to be recognizing who our King is and who our Lord is and respond to your word today in repentance and restoration, if that is your call. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day, guys. Enjoy tomorrow.